Thank you for tuning in to the sermon podcast from Redeeming Hope. We exist as a family of faith that follows Jesus and helps others find him by living all of life as missionaries of hope. If you want more information about our church or would like to support our ministry, go to our website at redeeminghope.org. Please enjoy the sermon podcast. As we continue our series, God at Home, today the title of my message is Unless the Lord Builds the House from Psalm 127. But first, I want to say a very happy Mother's Day to all you moms out there, all you grandmoms out there. I hope you have a really special day. I believe this message will encourage moms, dads, anyone seeking to understand God's design for the home and his vision for the world, which I believe includes reaching the world through the home, reaching the world through the family. Psalm 127, verses 1 through 5, I'm reading out of the ESV. A song of ascents. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies at the gate. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we welcome your word into our hearts. We thank you for the good news of the gospel. Help us to see the good news here and help us, Lord, to grasp your vision for your ever-expanding kingdom in this world through our homes. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So three things here. Number one, what do children need? Number two, what's their purpose? And number three, I'm just going to call it the ultimate arrow. What do children need? What's their purpose? And the ultimate arrow. What do children need? Well, children need a God-centered world. The psalmist here is warning against self-salvation, seeking to be the rescuer of my family by leaving God out of the, out of the picture. That's, that's what's going on in the first few verses here in this psalm. I'll read it again. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives his beloved sleep. So here's a picture of a man ignoring God and his word, rising and going to work as if everything depends on him. Now remember, the Hebrews, which would have been the context of this psalm, it was for the the Jewish people, the Hebrew people, they believed in Sabbath. It It was part of their law. But God's desire that it would be the desire, the desire of their heart, not just that it would just simply be a law that they blindly obey, but they'd see the, the joy and the health and the life in it. The Sabbath was the law that required you to work six days and rest on the seventh. Obedience to this law required faith. It's the idea that I believe I can accomplish more by centering my life on God, by working six days and resting one day, than by trusting in myself and working for seven days. To disobey the Sabbath was a sign of unbelief and self-salvation. It's all on me. And in some ways, it's all about me and my strength and my ability. We have to be aware of the temptation to choose an idol over the Lord. In this case, there are two idols that 
tempt us here that we see in Psalm 127, work and family. In other words, we try to orbit everything around work or everything around family. Might even believe in God. Might, God might even be in our lives, but it's not a God-centered life. It's more of a work, family-centered life with God somewhere in orbit around us on the fringe. But it doesn't work. It doesn't work that way. Because none of those things are ultimate and their divine design, work and family, is that they work best when they orbit around God. It's very popular in the Western world to make work or family idols. That means we make them ultimate. And we have to remember, while we are called to love our families with deep sacrificial love, our families make terrible gods and work makes a terrible God. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones in his sermon on idolatry said this about what an idol is. He's describing what, what is an idol. An idol is anything in my life that occupies the place that should be occupied by God alone. An idol is anything that is central to me. An idol is anything that seems to me essentially absolutely necessary. An idol is anything by which I live and on which I depend. An idol is anything that holds such a controlling position in my life that it moves and rouses and attracts me so easily that I give my time, my attention, my energy, and my money to it effortlessly. So idols aren't wooden or stone carvings or statues. It's anything that we place a wrong value on in comparison to God. Too high a value on a created thing, too low a value on our creator. So then even good things can become idols, can't they? While some in secular society today put family in too high of a place, we also have the idea of some putting family in too low of a place. The idea that family basically gets in the way of who you could be. And anything resembling traditional family values is a straitjacket that'll hold you back from being who you really could be as an individual. Personal freedom is ultimate. And any structure that limits my personal freedom and restricts you is bad. Evil is defined by anything that stands in the way of me and my personal happiness. So in our society, there's a widespread rejection of the traditional family because of some of these ideas. And we see it in our movies, even in Disney movies. Ariel, the little mermaid, disobeys her dad to go find herself out of bounds, out of family bounds, so to speak. And in the end, things go pretty well for her. Or in the 90s movie Pleasantville, you see people from the 90s transported back to the 1950s in a 50s era sitcom where they basically expose and critique and make fun of traditional family values. It's very common today to do that. So there's this low view of family in our society that Christians rightly react against. But we like movies like Family Man, starring Nicolas Cage. And by the way, for some reason, uh, my 12-year-old son Jack is a huge Nicolas Cage fan. I didn't know there were any of those. Anyway, in that movie, the, Nicolas, the character Nicolas Cage was playing lived a life of the individual with all of its perks and freedoms and power. He worked in a high-rise in Manhattan, made boatloads of money, had cars, girls, everything he wanted. Then an angel comes and puts him in an alternate reality where he'd married, I, I think it was his high school girlfriend. And at first he's shocked. He went from the high rise to living in New Jersey, selling tires and having to deal with kids. But in the end, he realizes what a blessing it is to be a family man and doesn't want to go back to his old life. Before, here's the thing, freedom was ultimate and is what gave him joy, but now family is ultimate and that gives him joy. And there's a temptation to say, that's a Christian movie. That's a 
Christian view of family. And of course, in some ways, the value of family is good and biblical. But Jesus confronts the view of family that's too low and the view of family that's too high. When he says in Mark 33, 3, he answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and my sister and my mother. So Jesus both confronts the view that family is nothing, but he also confronts the view that family is everything. We're not doing our kids any favors if we put them above our relationship with the Lord and create this world where you know, our, our faith or God or everything is sort of orbiting around family or, as I mentioned earlier, around work. But we're actually hurting our family when we build our lives that way. Unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers labor in vain. Verse 3 says, children are a heritage from the Lord. And it's also translated in some Bible translations. Children are a gift from the Lord. Children are a gift from the giver. They are not the givers of joy. They are not the givers of life. They are not the givers of what is ultimate. They are not the givers of satisfaction. They're just a gift from the Lord that we are to enjoy, we are to embrace and steward, and yet it points to the giver, doesn't it? Now, you might have heard me mention the, the sort of title of, or subcategory of this psalm as we got into it. It's called A Song of Ascent. Psalm 120 through Psalm 134 are songs of ascent. And these songs of ascent were songs sung by Hebrew pilgrims, families, individuals, on their way to Jerusalem for any one of the three major festivals they had, the most familiar festivals being the Passover and the Feast of Tabernacles. Some believe these songs were also sung while ascending Mount Zion, which was a hill outside of Jerusalem, uh, or ascending the steps of the temple. More than half of the songs of ascent are cheerful, but they're all very hopeful. So here, what we have pictured here in Psalm 127 is this family heading up to Jerusalem together, singing this song. And Jesus' family, Mary and Joseph, Jesus and his brothers, they probably sang this song when he was 12 in the famous story of their family trip to Jerusalem for the Passover where Jesus was left behind and they found him in the temple. They probably sang this song on the way. And this psalm is a picture of a God-centered family prioritizing God and his ways, taking a break from anxious toil to go to Jerusalem to worship God, and they're spending time together while they're doing it. Think of the time it would take in that day to go to Jerusalem from Nazareth in northern Israel. Days of walking. Wouldn't time be better spent working in the fields, making money? That's what I think... A lot of Americans would say, a lot in the modern world would say. Now, we're not called to go to Jerusalem as modern believers in Jesus Christ and the new covenant, but how about ascending with our family to gather with God's people at church? How about gathering at home around the Bible, around the gospel, around prayer, instead of just gathering around TV all the time? That's the picture, is we're putting God first and we're, we're ascending toward him while we're singing this song. Unless the Lord builds the house, the labors labor in vain. It's all about him, it's for him, it's by him, it's unto him. And so what do children need? Children need a God-centered world, they need a God-centered home. Now, what, what are their purpose? What's, what is the purpose of our children? 
Well, it, it says here in, in this psalm that children are like arrows in the hand of a warrior. Verse 4, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Now, a few things about arrows. Number one, arrows have to be prepared and polished. Why does a warrior that's depicted in this psalm, why does a warrior have an arrow? Warrior has an arrow because there's an enemy, there's a conflict, there's a war. And Ephesians 6 talks all about that. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, etc. But as Christians in this world, we need to understand that we have a purpose and there is a conflict in this world. Good against evil, truth against lie. As, as, as families in Christ, our families have purpose. Everything exists for the glory of God and for the increase of his kingdom in this world. Go back to original creation. Why were, why were we even made? Why were Adam and Eve created? It said Adam and Eve were made in the image of God and they were given the assignment of managing the garden or, or of managing the, the earth, managing God's creation. And in Christ, that purpose is restored. We are called to be homes and individuals that influence the world around us as image bearers, as God's image bearers, and to raise up children who have that mindset to go out into the world and influence the world for good, influence the world for Christ as image bearers. The God-centered home is a home that understands its purpose. We, its purpose. we exist for the glory of God. We exist for the kingdom of God. We're all called. It's not a matter of if we're called, but a matter of where we're called. So it's important to prepare the arrows. In ancient times, they didn't have machines to create arrows like we have today. They created arrows by hand. Every army had its own arrowsmith, not the band, people who made arrows. And they were known as Fletchers. They were professionals when it came to making arrows and they had to work constantly to assure that there were enough arrows for the military forces. The Fletchers started with the straightest thin branch that they could find, they stripped it of the bark, then they heated any curved part over a fire and then straightened it using their hands and teeth to determine how straight they were. They would eye that arrow. When the branch cooled off, it would stay in, in that position. Now, I don't wanna to dive too deep into the ancient arrow making process, but I, I want you to see that it was a process that took time, skill, and a keen eye. And parenting does too, gospel-centered, Centered parenting does too. Like a Fletcher, we have to understand why we're making these arrows. We have to understand our ultimate purpose and shape our homes for that purpose. And so I want to encourage you to have vision. Have big vision. You know, one of my, uh, one of my mentors once said, once told me, he said, you know what, Derek? If you have a vision for your kids uh, to be world changers, big kingdom vision, and they backslide from that, um, you know, they'll, they'll just, they'll be good Christian kids and, and that ain't that bad. But if your vision is, is simply that your kids would just be good Christian kids and you have no big vision for them and no big, you know, world changing target that you're reaching for and they backslide from that, you might be in trouble. And that challenged me, that it, it just, he challenged me to have a big vision. God challenged me through him to have a big vision for my family and to understand our ultimate purpose as a kingdom-minded home, as a heavenly-minded home. And so 
we see the arrows have to be prepared and polished. Number two, arrows are made to go out, aren't they? Those arrows were pulled out of that quiver one by one by the warrior and shot to targets. And mom and dad, one by one, your children will leave your home heading toward targets the Lord has prepared for them. And I can tell you as as a father with three kids out of the house, some of the hardest emotional times in my life have been saying goodbye to our children as they move into new seasons of life. This was one of those moments for me. I actually looked back on my Facebook and found an old post dated September 6, 2018. Goodbye, Joy. Not J-O-Y, but J-O-Y-E. That's the name of my second daughter. So I said goodbye to my Joy two weekends ago when we took her off to college, McKendry University in Lebanon, Illinois, just outside St. Louis. I don't know what the Lord has in mind for her, but it's likely things will never be the same again. The page has turned, the seasons have changed, and a new chapter has begun for all of us here in Levenduskyville. We had some beautiful family moments in Illinois, but it was all bittersweet. It was certainly heartbreaking to watch each family member take their turn in a long, sobbing hug with their beloved sister, who they will all miss so much. Right before he hugged Joy, seven-year-old Jack, he's 12 now, seven-year-old Jack looked up into Essie's tearful face, his one of his other sisters, and said, I just don't cry at stuff like this, right before he hugged her. Then he hugged his big sister for the last time in a long time. The warmth of her body and the strong grip of her embrace must have melted him. He wept and wept and wept. It lasted until we were well on our way home an hour later in the car. I had my teary moments, but nothing like when I returned home. Driving through the night, I dropped off my athletes and their coach mom at the school just in time for practice. I walked in the house with Grace and little Jack and found myself alone upstairs just down the hall from Joy's room. It was silent. My heart was already aching when I braved the short walk down the hall. I stepped in and a flood of emotions overwhelmed me as I was surrounded by images and symbols of her past. It was like I walked into a photo album, a gymnastics trophy from when she was 10 years old, a picture of her on a podium from a wrestling tournament when she was 14, a vivid memory of her sitting on that bed doing her homework, looking up at me and smiling, another moment when she was crying on that same bed and I was praying for her, flashes of a sweet doll-faced little girl I held in my arms, it seemed only yesterday. Oh boy, I was finished. I withered into weakness, leaning over her dresser, sobbing a grief I had never known before as a father. Her older sister, Grace, has moved out, but at least she's still in nearby Rochester. We were in Western New York at the time and we get to see her often, but this was different. Joy was gone from our lives and our community. My heart began to flood sad sad thoughts into my mind. I won't hear her voice or her laughter echoing throughout the house again. I won't be able to walk down the hall and find her. No more random hugs, bedside chats, pranks, prayers, or her presence at the dinner table. Her chair would be empty. Her room was empty. I cried off and on all day. It was grief. A season was over. I have all this love to give her, but would have to find new ways to express itself. It would have to find new ways. The next morning, I spent some time in prayer, and later in the morning, ventured into her room again. Tears came again, but this time a friendly voice spoke into my heart. The Holy Spirit reminded me that everything in front of me, all the images and symbols of her past, was just a snapshot of a seed in process. 
Every version of joy that I'd ever known was a temporal, momentary version of her. Her life has always been heading towards something else, something greater, something more glorious. God is always about the end game, and he has a plan and vision for her future glory. Everything in her life is about that. There's an eternal version of her that he is shaping in Christ through the seasons of life, and one day we will all see it. Everything else is a seed in process. I see the seed. God sees the bloom. I had cherished the seed, but he wants the bloom. He delights in it. It was strangely comforting and has supported my heart with strength and peace ever since that moment in her room. To release joy to her future is to release her to the grace at work in her life. It's to release her to the bloom. She's in the palm of God's hand now. Proverbs 4.18 says, But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until the full day. We are all moving toward the full day. 1 Corinthians 15 uses the picture of a seed when speaking of the difference between our temporal earthly bodies and the eternal spiritual ones we will all receive in the resurrection. Deep stuff, but the theme is the same. God has a vision for our future glory in Christ and is moving all of us toward it. Everything else is temporary. There's a temptation, isn't there, to want to hold on sentimentally to the now, to the seed. But God is all about the bloom. God is all about the future. C.S. Lewis talked about this in his book, The Weight of Glory. When he talked about the future glory of every believer, this is a stunning quote, what he's pointing out. He said, it is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses, so to speak. Nobody's actually going to be a god or a goddess. He's just using pictures. To remember that the dullest, most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature, <clears throat> which if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship or also horror and a corruption, such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. As long as we are in some degree, <clears throat> as long as we are in some degree helping each other to one or the other, of these destinations. He's, all day long we are, he says, in some degree, helping one another to one of these destinations. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities, it is with the awe and the circumspection proper to them that we sh should conduct all of our dealings with, with one another, all our friendships, our loves, our play, and our politics. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat but it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. It's amazing, isn't it? The future glory that God has prepared for us. And so that's, that's where our children are heading. So arrows need to be uh, prepared and polished and they're made to go out. They're made, we need to give, that, give the, the seed of what they are to their future bloom. We need to let them go when the time is right for that. And finally, the, the third thing about, you know, what is their purpose? The third thing about arrows is arrows hit targets beyond the warrior, don't they? Think about the weapon used to describe children here. We're not told that children are a sword. We're told that they're like arrows. Why? A warrior using a sword much physically approach his target, but not a warrior with a bow. He shoots the arrow or she shoots the arrow. Katniss Everdeen, right? And it goes far beyond the warrior. Hitting targets the warrior will never approach. 
himself or herself. And our children in time and space will hit targets that we will not hit. Some will go geographically beyond us. And long after our time on earth is complete, our children in time will hit targets that we will not approach ourselves. And so children, their purpose is to be arrows shot out from the Lord, moving toward their future glory, expanding the kingdom of God and glorifying God in this world. So we've looked at what do children need? Looked at their purpose. Finally, what's or who is the ultimate arrow? As we look at Psalm 127, we see a picture of the ultimate father and the ultimate son as Jesus was the arrow shot from heaven to this world and he hit his target, didn't he? Jesus aimed his whole life at the cross, facing the reality of the cross in John 12, 27. He said, now my soul is troubled and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose, I have come to this hour. He's saying, there's a target that God has for me. It's to give my life as a ransom for many and I'm, I'm moving toward that target. And like an arrow, not veering from its target, Jesus did not veer from his. In perfect obedience to the Father, he went to his crucifixion. Why? He went for us so that we could become sons and daughters, so that our sins could be forgiven. John 1, 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Jesus died like a stranger, like an outsider, so we could be brought in and made sons and daughters. And now we call God Father, and we are like arrows in his quiver, and he's launching us out into Clarksville. He's launching us out into Middle Tennessee for the glory of his name, and others will go farther out, hitting targets in other places. Some application for this message. Number one, receive Jesus as Lord, not just of your life, but as Lord of your home. Say as Joshua once said in the Old Testament, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Orbit your life around this arrow shot from heaven to this world who went to the cross and was raised and now sits at the right hand of the Father. Arrange your life around him and you and your family and your home will become his arrows and he'll launch you out into his purposes. So receive Jesus as Lord not just of your life, but Lord of your home. Receive Jesus as rescuer of your home. Don't try to rescue yourself by idolizing work or thinking it's all about your wisdom or your willpower. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Application number three. Study your children. Prayerfully study your children. Prayerfully study your children and get a prophetic sense of their destiny. This is something that I felt very challenged of the Lord to do, to really try to ascertain what has God put in the heart of my child? What are they gifted at? What are they good at? What what makes their heart go pitter-patter? What excites them? And try to do what I can as a father to create a pathway for them to get to that destiny, or at least the next step toward that destiny that they have in the Lord. And finally, number four, Polish the arrows, prepare the arrows, prepare them with uh, the gospel, prepare them with many, many, many conversations about the word of God 
many conversations about how to apply the gospel to their mind, their thinking, their identity, their destiny, their future. We polish those arrows with the word of Christ. I want to encourage you to make that your habit in your home and, and have good habits with, the, with God's people, groups and, and attending uh, church services uh, that in gospel-centered churches, praying together as families. I'm not asking you to be legalistic or set yourself up for failure or, you know, create sort of mid-year, new year resolutions that you're going to, you know, fall flat on your face in, in three weeks. But I'm just encouraging you to, like somebody putting their hands on the wheel and getting their car back on the road, know where the road is. And it's, it's living a God-centered life. It's having a God-centered home. no condemnation to those who are in Christ. But without a vision, the people perish. So I want to encourage you to have a vision for a God-centered home. Have a vision for a gospel-centered life and gospel-centered mission. We exist for the glory of God. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord and let the Lord launch you like an arrow out launch your children like an arrow out and and like seeds growing to that future glory will grow toward the bloom in Christ. I hope you're encouraged by this. Moms, I hope you're encouraged today. What you're doing is so very important. I saw this stupid bumper sticker. You've probably seen it too. It says, you know, well-behaved moms never change the world. Well, that's, that's not really true. You know, you're not demoted if you're a mom. It's not like a lower job on the totem pole in God's. It's everything. You, you know, the hand that rocks the cradle, how, what's that saying? The hand that rocks the cradle changes the world, right? So moms who invest in children who are like arrows that go out, I mean, that, that's the kingdom. That's how we think. That's how we move. That's, how, that's what we believe. And it's just this individualism and this radical feministic view of the age. And, you know, I'm all... That's not to say, you know, I'm not like uh, encouraging the dignity of women and women's rights and women, you know, being in the workplace. I'm not poo-pooing that at all. But there's this radical feministic individualistic view, this, this atheistic view uh, uh, of God, or at least a, a, a detesting of the Judeo-Christian worldview of, of marriage and motherhood that is, that is uh, a threat to Psalm 127, it's a threat to living those God-centered homes. I just want to encourage you moms to think the way God thinks about motherhood. Think about the way God thinks about family and what we see here, that you are polishing and preparing arrows to be shot out to targets for the glory of God to shape the world and shape the nations. It's, it's an awesome thing. And I want to encourage you on this Mother's Day. I hope you're encouraged. I don't want to re-preach the message here, but I want to encourage you. So thanks for listening today. Thanks for watching today. Again, I hope you have a blessed Mom's Day, whether you're watching this on Mom's Day or in the days following, I, I hope that you, uh, you're blessed at home and uh, that you're encouraged by this series, God at Home. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Until next time, Jesus is enough. Thank you for listening. We gather every Sunday at the Clarksville area YMCA. For more information, please go to our website at redeeminghope.org.